0: This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, Quinn Amorum. Whatever your goal is, if it's to generate leads, sell products, send more emails, click funnels, can give you everything you need to market, sell, and deliver your products or services online. All of this without having to hire or rely on a tech team. So if you want to try it for two weeks, 100% for free, go to failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. That's it, I'll say it again, the link is failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. Welcome everyone, today we have a special guest who graduated with honors from the Georgian Court University and the internationally recognized Goldman Sachs, KSB program. She is also the founder of two companies Go Beyond SEO, which is a digital marketing firm, and Creative Clarity, focusing on educational products for entrepreneurs and group coaching. Trish Samen is a digital marketing expert who is intent on helping you make more money and absolutely love your clients. Trish, how's it going?
1: It's going well today. How are you?
0: I'm doing very good. Very good. So it looks like you are a very busy person, right? You you start businesses and you run the businesses that you started. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. I'm uh, owner and operator. So it's a little, it's a bit of a madhouse from time to time.
0: Yeah. So how, how did you get started with business, uh, Trish?
1: Well, with Go Beyond, that story is kind of an interesting one. We got started in the middle of the recession, which I don't necessarily recommend, but, uh, I was pregnant with my second child and I got laid off and my husband, um, was working his job, but it didn't look like that one was gonna last very long either. Um, people were just getting laid off left and right in 2009. And, um, it, it was a, it was a crazy time for a lot of people. So we already had a little bit of a side hustle rolling, but it became Go time when we realized that <clears throat> my salary at the time was going to be now gone. Uh, so we started to uh, put the pedal to the metal. And um, that, I mean, I say now is crazy, then was crazier <laughs> without, yeah. without question. But um, it, was, uh, it was born of necessity, though. We realized that we had this marketing acumen, we had some digital marketing chops. And particularly in 2009, that was kind of a commodity. People, not everybody knew how to do that kind of stuff. And we weren't the only ones who lost our jobs. So other professionals decided to go out and hang up their own shingle. So they said, hey, you know, do you think that you could do some work for me? And we did. We helped like four or five businesses um, for free. Like, yeah, you know, we, we can help you out. And then I remember turning to my husband, Brian, and saying, I think it was the fifth or sixth person. I said, you know, we should start charging for this. This might, there might be an opportunity here. Yeah. So, we went from kind of having our own little websites that were a little bit of a side hustle to we're going to, we're going to do this as a, you know, as a service for, you know, for other, other businesses. And that's how we got as a very truncated version, but that's how we got started. Yeah. So
0: um,
1: yeah, it was a, yeah, it was crazy.
0: That's a cool story. And then for those of you that are listening, the Brian that Trish mentioned is Brian Saman, the amazing marketer that has been on this podcast on a previous episode uh, at the time of this recording is not live, but by the time you hear this, it will be uh, a few weeks ago. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Brian is also an amazing marketer. So Tr- Trish, today 2019, it would it, the name makes perfect sense. Like go beyond SEO. That name, it it to me, it just sounds so cool. But in 2009, that was not an ordinary. Um, Term to having like your domain, you have to go beyond. uh, So where did that come from?
1: Great, great question. I don't think anybody has ever asked you that. So at the time, it was a best practice to have a service that you offer inside your URL. Now, the way things have adjusted since then is that you can put a URL extension. So in other words, let's say you are Acme Plumbing. And having AcmePlumbing.com really mattered. Whereas once Acme Plumbing was taken, you start running into issues where, all right, well, what do I do? Well, now you can be, you know, AcmeHomeServices.com forward slash plumbing, forward slash home water heater, Mm. or something like that. So the addition of the URL extensions kind of helped, you know, help do that. But with regards to why we named our company, what we did, we wanted to convey a bit of our mission around what kind of company we were going to run, but also one of our key and still one of our core service offerings, which is uh, search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people didn't know what it meant. They were like, what is CEO? Or what are you a CEO? And I'm like, oh, that's a different letter and a different title altogether. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's just, you know, at first blush, people look at it and think uh, it wasn't what it was. Now people most business owners know or have a working knowledge of what SEO stands for and and why they may or may not need it. So, yeah. That's where it came
0: from. (laughs) Kind of related to what you said about the URL, there's something that I I don't know. I never get a 100% answer because uh, when it comes to the the ending of the domain, if it's .com, .ca, .net, whatever, now there's so many now. There are. Do you think that Google says that they're all treated equally? Do you believe that a, I don't know, let's say SEO.com has the same power that SEO.guru or agency?
1: So I've got, I do have an answer for you. And here's the not so short answer. Does Google quote unquote treat them the same way? Yes and no. And I'll tell you why yes. And I'll tell you why no. So, yes, it is just an extension. Google is essentially a series of robots that's crawling the internet. They do not value things .com, .net, .biz, whatever it is. That said, what Google does pay attention to, and this is the part that I think is why a lot of SEOs are like, "I'm not touching that question," is because Google also measures behavior and relevance. So most mm. people type in a dot com because that's the most familiar. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's better, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's worse. So Google's metrics, like when you think about 100 years ago when we all had you know, ads in the phone book, the way that the phone book was organized was typically a geography to some degree, but it was alphabetical, because it made the most sense and it was something that everybody could get on board with. Google aggregates its data based on relevance. That metric is much, harder to quantify and qualify outside of saying alphabetical. So that's why most SEOs will back off that question because theoretically, yes, the end of your domain.com.biz whatever should not matter. That said, if somebody's typing it in, Google wants to give the most relevant response in their search results. So that's why people, you know, will stay away from dot, you know, .o or .co or .whatever. Um, simply because Google will default to try to pull up .com because it quote unquote believes. Now again, it doesn't think, but the robots are going to lean more towards .com because they are trying to auto-populate with what it is that you're looking for. So slightly complicated answer, but I hope that's as direct an answer as I can give you.
0: No, that actually makes perfect sense. I completely understand now because I know Relevancy is the most important thing to now most algorithms out there, right? You need to be yep. relevant. It doesn't matter if it's Google, Amazon, Twitter, if you're relevant, uh, that's how they rank you higher. So it makes perfect right. sense. Yeah, they do put the same weight on it. It's just that people don't. People still trust right. with Tom Martin. Okay.
1: That's exactly right. So it wants to serve up what you want. So, and mm-hmm. Google is trying to figure out and infer based on metrics and, you know, behavioral data and things like that, what in quote, because there's no verb for how robots thinks other than things, um, you know, what it infers that you want. So that's why it's a hard answer to give because, again, you have to kind of serve two masters. You have to serve the behavioral relevance component and then also the robotic aggregating data component of it.
0: Exactly. Actually, there there was a uh, a marketer out there that did a test, and because he had a huge audience, the, the test did work for him. And it was having people search for a particular search term that is not related to that site, and mm-hmm. all would click on that site for that search term, and it ended up ranking for that search oh. term because it they stayed on the page just like he instructed. So. That that mm-hmm. just proves relevancy is stronger than uh, that. Well,
1: it's a great example. It's a great example. One of the ones, this was from 100 years ago, but um, this is kind of a fun nerd out SEO fact. Uh, Adobe, as I'm sure you're familiar, you know, PDFs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Great, They have great images, things like that. They ranked really, really well for the keyword phrase, click here because it was a hyperlink that was on their site for people to download the software. So if you typed in, this was a while ago, but if you typed in click here, Adobe would be the first one to show up, by leaps and bounds. Isn't that funny?
0: Oh
1: my goodness. funny funny SEO nerdy fact.
0: Yes, you know, I never thought of that, but that's just so so incredible. I like that. (laughs) Yep, so
1: relevant for click here. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: So Trish, I want to ask you something about your newest company, uh, Creative Clarity. I believe that's, that's where right. you say you need to get more clients that you love. Right. What do you mean by saying more clients that you love? Are people supposed to love their clients?
1: Right. So that's it's a great question. And um, with regards to loving your clients, I'm not necessarily talking about that you marry everybody yeah. that's your client. But I will say that this, course and this concept was born of and your your fail staff will appreciate this uh many clients i didn't love (laughs) and -hmm. what i mean by that is i did i would get nervous if they would call i'd get emails because i'm like something's going to be wrong they're going to want something that i can't do or they're going to change the scope of the project that we're on Or in the SEO and pay-per-click space, they're going to want results yesterday. And I'm like, but we only started yesterday. So no level of client management on my end would ever satisfy their need. So when I started to kind of create the course, I started to put myself through the process and say, okay, well, what does fit look like? And really, what are the metrics behind fit? So there's personality fit, you know, like you and I get along very well. You seem like it'd be really fun to work with you. But what if what I offered really only kind of sort of fit? Mm -hmm. How happy would you be with me? How satisfied would I be in my role doing something for you? All of a sudden it starts to clear the relationship a little bit. And then let's say that we really liked working together and you were a good fit. But then something I was doing or information I was trying to pull from you to make me even more effective. I wasn't getting from you or your expectations were that I would be able to deliver that timeline that was not appropriate, or maybe you weren't effective communicator and maybe I wasn't an effective communicator. Something wasn't working. So I started to reverse engineer based on a client. And it's funny because I'm actually in the process of building a infographic around this, or my, my designer is Uh, the Dave and Undave. So I have my favorite client. And I used to joke around with my husband. I'm like, man, if we could just get 20 more days, we'd get 20 more days. We would be golden. So I'm like, how do I reverse engineer and start attracting more days, as opposed to the undays, the anti-days, the day, the people that, like I said, when I would see them call me, I'd be like, oh god, what do they want now? Because mm-hmm. I started to really feel like I, I was like shrinking on the inside because I could not satisfy them now. With some of that, because what I offered wasn't what they needed. Some of it was, were they communicating what we needed? There was some kind of poor fit situation. I don't even want to lay blame on either. How do I fill my funnel with more Dave? I mean, Dave respected our expertise. He didn't say yes to every suggestion I made, but he certainly heard me out, saw what I was trying to get across. I knew how to give him wins. Like, every time I worked with him, I'm like, I know how to give you a win. And then it just made me get so excited to even find more wins for him. Like, let me find an- another way to, like, look it up for dates. And he was divorced for us uh, because he was always getting wins. And he was really happy. He also reached out when things were good or if he had a concern or a question, it was never accusatory. It was like, you know, so I was looking at the landing page. I'm not following. Can you, can you explain that? Like, what the hell is this? You know, it wasn't like that. It was much more. Now, some of that was his natural demeanor and personality, which is a good fit for how I get down. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, you can be polite and also be a poor fit. It, it, like just because he's polite doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good fit, some people just dynamic wise. And uh I had another client was kind of an unbathead and super sweet. I really liked working with her as a human. But she would go over the top and say how much she really trusted my expertise i'm like i'm you're like the total best trish oh my god i suddenly love talking to you blah blah and she she'd go on but i try to set benchmarks with her and she's like i don't know whatever you guys want to do and i'm like ah that's not really helpful Mm -hmm. it's kind of like saying all right well you have to drive north okay uh to new york to canada to the north pole where am i going Hmm. and um just north, you guys will get there. I totally get it. And, like, without that benchmark and without that, you know, mutually agreed upon goal, we are looking like a failure. Well, we achieved north, but not as north as you wanted, or too far north, or whatever. Yeah. So, even though she was a sweetheart and personality wise, we got along, pinning down those metrics for us to measure against, she wasn't interested in doing that. So, she became an undate, even though she was a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So, it does. Um, so, so the short answer is getting kind love is really, it's a, it's a relationship. Not everything's perfect all the time, but there's a mutual understanding. The value system is similar. Um, the target goal is similar. Things like that. Sorry, I could go on for Dave. Well. Oh, no, no,
0: that, that is incredible. And I like the fact that you, you named them days or undaves, That's really... <laughs>
1: Oh, it's true. And the guy's actually named Dave. Like there's an actual person. And I love you, Dave. And he's actually sold this company. So he's not our client anymore. But um but he's great. We love Dave. So
0: you know what, Trish? Um I really like the fact that you you do that and you work with clients that you actually love because most entrepreneurs that start any kind of business at the beginning, you know it's so hard. And you know that person may not be the perfect fit, but right. because you're struggling, at one point, everybody's struggling financially, right? Starting up a business. absolutely. And it's the hardest thing is to say no to uh, an extra source of income that that client is going to be. It, I was yeah. there before too, right? I I started years ago, you know, I was doing, um, when Facebook come out with ads, I believe it was like 07, and they had this... Um, it's like this bad thing where you come out and try to do ads on Facebook. I, I started doing that then. And uh, after a while of doing them all just for me, I was running my own ads for my, for my own products. And then some people started asking me to do their ads. And I remember one. It was the first paying customer. And they wanted me to run their ads for them. But they wanted me to use the pictures that they told me the ad copy that they told me and target who they told me. And I still, I still did it, and I still did it, but I was thinking like, what am I even doing here? I'm, I'm the copy and paste guy. If the ad is not gonna work, and it did, right. I mean, it somewhat did, but I mean, at that time, everything would work because there was, uh, you know, it was just easier. But still, it wasn't an optimized picture. It wasn't an optimized copy. And I was targeting whoever they told me. So um, that one when, when we see that, and it's so hard to say no because you're going to make an extra couple grand. Um, how do you tell the people that are struggling right now, don't do it. Don't go for that low-hanging fruit that's going to – it can eventually actually ruin you, right? Because you don't get the results you're you can- what do you tell people that are starting out uh, to get away from these clients?
1: So at first, I will tell you right now: don't get away from them. Um, you do need the low-hanging fruit. I was an early adopter entrepreneur as well, and we took on clients. I mean, at that point, I was willing to sweep the floors. I was like, no problem. No, let's get it rolling. So, and the course is designed for people who either have a decent amount of startup capital, which a lot of small businesses do not. Um, A decent amount of startup capital to really start filling your funnel. But it's truly my ideal client for the course, since I'm going to practice what I preach here, is somebody who has been in business for a couple of years. Somebody who has enough capital and enough uh, cash flow that their business is functioning. And what they're coming up against is that now, now they can't scale because they have these clients that you're charging an appropriate amount for the service you're delivering, but the service, the scope is now growing. And they're asking for things that, like you just said, that's not what I do. You want me to engage in something that I know in my soul is not going to work. But you're like, well, I'm telling you to do it. I'm paying you to do it. So do it. I have no problem, particularly for the rookies of the side hustle. You can look at the course and apply those principles and start knowing what to look for and how to start attracting the right ones. But in the beginning, of course, you have to take on something that's going to keep the lights on. I'm fully aware of that. Oh, well, boy, am I aware of that. Like, yeah. all through, I mean, I had kids at the time too. Like, I was ready to be like, well, who needs coffee? I'm, I'm going to make it happen. Um, with that said, though, as you start to scale, like, I'm going to give you a, an analogy because I like analogies. So, let's say, like I said earlier, you know, what if your client said, I just need to go north? Well, as an entrepreneur, your goal is to just go up. I want to get higher. I want to get higher in the sky. I want to go up. So you could go to New York City and you could climb to the top of the Empire State Building and now you're up. Now you're high. But what if your actual goal was to get to the moon? Empire State Building doesn't help you at all. So what got you to the top of the Empire State Building is not going to get you to the moon. Mm. So that said, you want to hold on to the clients that you have, but eventually the ones that are really fit and you'll be able, able to and I actually go over this in the course too, is that there's two ways to do it. Depending on their demeanor and behavior, for those where they're asking you to do things that you don't enjoy, you want to either reframe the conversation with them and they'll do one of two things. They'll agree to the reframe or they'll quit. Mm-hmm. But what you've now done is taken the power back. And it's the tough part about for rookie entrepreneurs is that they're so their mental state is in a place where they're like, Man, I really just hope they hire me. Even though I'm so new at this, I really just hope they hire me. So you come to the table kind of like Oliver Twist, like, please, ma'am, have some more. Like, you're diminutive to them. Once you've got a little swagger and you've been at it for a minute, and I don't mean just you're good at your space. Like, let's say you're a lawyer. You're good at that, but you don't know how to run a business. Once you've actually started running a business, you then can outline a framework for them, say, this is how much this is going to cost, and sit. And they either hire you or they don't. You're much better off taking on whatever you can in the beginning. But after you've been at it for a minute, you really need to reassess your attraction practices because you will then only get to the top of the Empire State, Bentley and you'll never get to the moon. Because it just doesn't work that way. So after you, and not only that, you may not know who your true ideal client is in the beginning. You may say, Oh, I would offer this service, and I think that I want to work with men between the ages of 35 and 42, and they have this problem that I can solve. Then you find that, you know what, that's not my mojo. I don't really actually enjoy working with them, or they're not willing to spend. Turns out I want couples between the ages of 45 and 55. They have this, they have that. So you've kind of figured out a little bit more who it is you want to target, who it makes the most sense to approach, and then go from there. So the very, very long answer to your question is, Take who you can in the beginning. I understand if you're a rookie, you gotta get it. You got to get it rolling. I do not recommend saying, no, I'm going to be very super super selective in the beginning. Nope, that's how you go broke. But once you've been at it for a minute, then you start to reassess and say, well, you know what? These people are actually imp- impeding my capacity, impeding my productivity. So now I want something that they're easier to work for. I can deliver my service in a, in a more meaningful way. They're happy. I'm happy. I get more referrals like that.
0: Yeah. That's perfect, Trish. I like the fact that you don't encourage them to turn down business at the beginning. And you mentioned something that at the beginning, you may not even know who your ideal client is because that exact same thing happened to me. Remember how I said I was kind of running Facebook ads? And the reason I was doing it was because somebody asked, uh, because I was running them for myself. My, My expertise is creating and selling physical products. Right. So it wasn't the ads I was running them for myself, but that was not my expertise. So when I realized that, that's when I started taking clients only related to creating and selling physical products. That doesn't matter if it's Shopify, Amazon, wherever it is, but I do not do anything related to any kind of other marketing that's not physical products. And that's how where my clients are. Right. So I didn't know either. So that's a really great point.
1: Sure. I've been there. So I know I've taken on clients that were not a fit or they wanted an outcome that I didn't even offer or service I didn't Mm -hmm. offer. And, um, you know, you you try to accommodate because it's relational. So you want to accommodate. But a lot of times you're just better off saying, let me refer you. You'll get so much more respect from that person too. Again, once you've been at it for a minute, and you say, you know what, that's really not in my wheelhouse and our relationship would be um, would be strained because I was trying to put a square peg in a circular hole. So yeah. let me refer you to somebody else and, you know, well-wish them and move on.
0: So when you find your ideal client, and for example, in your particular case, uh, you find your ideal client, now where do you go or what kind, what do you do? to bring them to you, right? How do you go find more clients for your own business?
1: Sure. So the best part about defining your market is that you can then start inferring their motivations and their general psychographics. So let's say, for example, you have somebody who's opening up a restaurant and that restaurant is targeting uh, vegans, So people don't eat meat. They're much more interested in sustainability and uh, they live in a certain part of town. So now you start picturing who your target client is. Like, all right, well, I've got them. Predominantly women, though there's some men, um, they live in this part of town, they probably make a certain amount of money. What kind of political affiliation might they have? What kind of activities would they engage in? What kind of charities do they support? All of a sudden, now you're starting to see a bit more motivation. And then you start to think about, well, what kind of experience would they expect coming to? Now, there's a client that I had here in Charlotte that was a biker bar that sold a lot of barbecue and wings. So who was going to that place versus who was going to the vegan joint? Entirely different person.
0: Even
1: Even if you've eaten in both restaurants and you're one person, you're probably not their target demographic. So then once you've figured that out, you wanna start crafting your messaging. So I'm gonna give an example actually of of two different lawyers who practice the same kind of law. I'm not gonna say what kind of law I practice, but I guarantee you'll be able to infer based on their like, we help statement, their messaging. So one is, I help high net worth people separate from their spouse and protect their interests. And then there's another one that says, I help mom and dad prepare their children for us to no longer be husband and wife. Now, it's very clear that both of them are family law attorneys and they, they specialize in divorce. Well, one is I've got to protect my money. and The other is I've got to protect my kids. Yeah. So you can infer who they might be targeting even though they offer the same service. They don't offer the same service. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, by the lay of the law, sure, they're no longer married, but the experience around it. So the way that you start to infer what you're going to say and how to attract is you figure out who it is and what you're gonna say to them. And then the next step after that is where are they gonna get that message from? So again, getting back to the the vegan restaurant, am I gonna go, and you can, but ideally, gonna go on, on the 7 p.m.? Probably not, even though my parents watch Fox News and they're both vegans. They're still not the ideal target demographic. A lot of times people who are vegan will say, and again, I've worked with this client before I know that the demo so well. Um, a lot of times predominantly female, interested in sustainability, tend to lean left politically and um, are interested in um, environmental charities, uh, animal charities. They're interested in hemp clothing, things like that. Now that's not exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, I'm not saying that that fits everybody, but ideally that's what you want and they typically have money. And then you also can kind of infer an age demographic, too, because veganism really didn't become popular until later years, as opposed to, you know, people like my parents who are in their 60s and 70s. They're kind of an anomaly. Yeah. So how my messaging would target it would be a bit different. And then where would I be? Would I be on Fox News? Probably not. Probably Instagram. You know what I mean? Like there's
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, potentially Facebook. But right now I would say probably not that much. Although Facebook groups, if you had like a vegan group in there. um then uh maybe alternative weeklies, you know, the newspapers that they have, the little ones that come out in the week. So now you have a better picture of where you might want to do. I love email marketing too, because you can be really targeted there. So when you say attracting the right people, part of the way that you attract somebody even when you're dating is you gotta go to the right place. You know, like if you're uh, if you're a hardcore devout Christian, you might want to meet a spouse at church. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's you kind of gotta go where they are, kind of a thing. So the attraction is partly how you say it and where you say it. So, I hope that helps.
0: It does. <laughs> no, it does. And uh, I like the fact that you mentioned the, the ve- your vegan customers, because uh, I am married to a vegan influencer on Instagram, so. <laughs>
1: oh, well, see, there you go. And yeah. on Instagram, no less. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> so there you go. Exactly, yeah. That's a place to put it, right. So, um, and influencers actually, since you said that, um, you know, shameless plug for your wife and whom I have never met, but uh, if she is an influencer, a vegan influencer, that's another great way to get your message out there because it's got this extra bonus of this person has tried this, this person has, is in the space is a, a, um, not just an influencer, but usually highly knowledgeable in their space and they love it. It's not just that they're, you know, that they are knowledgeable about it and they could give a dissertation on it. They love it, too. It's something that's important to them. So that's a great medium to pursue. So shameless plug for your wife.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, thank you, Trish. So, Kelsey when it comes to business, what are some of your favorite tools that you use inside your own business?
1: So I love, a game changer totally, is um, something called Schedule Once. And it's inside my email. And it says there's a little link that says, um, you know, schedule time with me or I will share it with somebody on email if they want to have a conversation with me. The reason why I love it is because, and I'm sure most business owners can appreciate this, when you're going to have a meeting, even if it's a phone meeting, how many back and forth emails do you have? Just saying, I don't know, Tuesday doesn't work for me. How about, I don't know, January at this point? You know, it just Mm -hmm. cuts down your productivity um, to have to go back and forth with your email. So having schedule one and you log in and people can go to the link. Typically, if you put a picture in there, put a picture of you, and then they can pick the amount of time that they want, and it opens up and links to your calendar, so they can see the holes in your calendar, and then they plug in a spot, and then you get an email alert or a text alert, depending on how you set it up, and you're aware that now I have a meeting today. So that's one that was a huge game changer for me from a a productivity standpoint. I I love that. Um, What else do I like? I really like um, G Suite, what I use for email, and uh, manages all my calendar, integrates very nicely with my iPhone, um, and from what I understand, integrates nicely with all phones for those who are work, you know, in in other Android worlds yeah. and whatnot. Um, we love Kajabi, the a great one for courses. So I'm trying to think what else um, your listeners might be interested in, because I've worked with <laughs> worked with a bunch. So I'm trying to think any others that would be really great. We use Teamwork a lot. Of, we used to use Basecamp, but we like Teamwork as a means to have correspondence with our teams, kind of get things done. And what's great is you can actually attach different people to different projects so -hmm. for your product-based people let's say you have a design team that's tied to one product but you also have seven other products and those other products have different target demographics different packaging needs different delivery dates you know turnaround time is different you can have different people attached to each of those product projects in Mm -hmm. as much as they needed to be a part of that project and then Remove the people who don't have an influence or a say in that project. So I love that too. Yeah. It's a great feature of teamwork. Yeah.
0: So, and we want to
1: put affiliates here. I just love all of these. There's no, I'm not, I don't get paid for any of that. <laughs> so no affiliates there. So.
0: Cool. So you, you mentioned Kajabi. Uh, your course is on Kajabi?
1: It's in the process of going on to Kajabi. It's not live yet. Soon, very soon. Hopefully by the time this airs, it'll be live, but uh, I'm still making some tweaks. It's never, kind of like bringing forth a child you're never quite ready and you want everything to be perfect and it doesn't always come perfect but just, i'm very close though I'm very close so.
0: okay in case it is live when people are listening to this do you want to uh let, let us know where we can find it and what we're going to find <laughs> in there
1: yeah i'm i'm really excited about it it's um very easy url which is more clients you um, in the meantime, if it's not live, uh, you can go to trishsamencom forward slash seven, and I actually have seven steps mm-hmm. that is a much much more truncated version of the course. So it's uh, trishseaman that's S-A-E-M-A-N-N dot com forward slash seven, which is S-E-V-E-N, and you can that's a freebie. You can just kind of download that one, and it's a it's a good guide. Um, but yeah, it'll be getmoreclient2love.com and uh, I'm hoping to launch it. In July, but uh, like I said, I still have I still have some logistics. I don't want to give a hard date just yet. Yeah. yeah. So, but thank for asking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Trish, there's something that keeps changing, and I guess everything that's online changes is so often. Doesn't matter if it's uh-huh. marketing or whatever. So, what is something that you see marketers do that is a mistake that probably they were it was working in the past and not anymore? Some of those common trends that you see people talking on Facebook, I'm still doing this, but they don't actually test results. That's actually one of one of the mistakes they're making. That's what
1: I was going to say. Is a big yeah. one. They don't test or measure their results. Um, one of the biggest mistakes that I see not only marketers do, but even business owners who are not professional marketers do, is they major in minor things. So, they get very concerned about what we call vanity metrics. Yes. So, uh let's say on Instagram, you go out and you're like, I'm going to get as many Instagram followers as I can. It's going to be awesome, which is fine. Having a good audience is a very valuable thing. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, you look at your list and you're like, I've got 2,700 Instagram followers and I'm a teeny tiny business. I'm awesome. Look how great I am. And yet, you're not selling any of your products or you're not selling any of your service. And the reason why is the metric you should be paying attention to is engagement, meaning they are interacting with you. They are following your brand. They connect with your brand. They value your brand. So 185 years ago, when I was a kid, well not a kid, but in my twenties and I sold radio, I worked for CBS and I sold radio among other things. So I sold radio. And one of the radio stations that I sold was a top 40 station. Mm-hmm. So we could get, depending on the ad and the time of day, we could get as many as 500,000 people and upwards of that to hear the ad. Mm-hmm. So you're like, wow, look at, I'm going to play this ad. I'm going to spend $500 on this ad. And 500,000 people are going to listen. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I'm going to be rich. And then there's another radio station. Uh, there's several, but, you know, like your talk radio your NPRs, your conservative talk radio, your things like that. And they have significantly lower listenership. But what they have as compared to the top 40 is an engaged listenership. So the distinction being, and again, depends on what you're trying to sell and what you're trying to achieve with your marketing. Don't get caught up in the general reach. That metric matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as engagement. For example, if you had loyal listeners who are going to listen to, you know, Bob Smith on conservative talk radio and they listen to him religiously at nine a.m. Bob Smith, Bob Smith's gonna break it down for you. He's gonna talk to you about politics, he's gonna talk to you about what's happening in the world, he's gonna happen local stuff, he's gonna talk to you about it, he's gonna give you the whole story. And you're sitting there, bated breath, listening to his every word. And then all of a sudden Bob Smith says, You know what you need to do? You need to go down to Acme Tires because Acme Tires have the best tires in my car. All of a sudden, Acme Tires is going to have 150 people in their place. Mm -hmm. Whereas, if Acme Tires chose to write over Rihanna singing Umbrella or whatever she's singing, or Bruno Mars or whomever on Top 40, um, you know Taylor Swift is, you know, I think her latest what did she drop recently? Um, You need to calm down or whatever her latest song. So Taylor's singing her thing, and all of a sudden they. Jump in with acne tires. Nobody cares about acne tires at yeah. that So, but you reach all these people now. Again, reach is not a bad metric, but it's not the only metric. You really want to consider when you're looking at your Instagram or you're looking at any of your other mediums, how much are people truly hearing what you have to say, and then better acting on it. So that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see marketers and business owners make: is they start to major in minor things. They pay attention to the vanity metrics. So look at all these people who are following me. I'm like, yeah, but are they? Mm-hmm. they look a lot cooler than say, oh well, everybody got my email as opposed to everybody's sort going of to show up. That's a big difference. So something to consider. So that's I would say probably one of the bigger ones.
0: Yeah, I want to uh, I want to write that one down. Uh, major on minor <laughs> things because it's yeah. so true. And I, I personally dislike vanity metrics. I actually did a podcast episode on my other show. About vanity metrics and how useless they really are yeah when when somebody says okay I I did 1.2 million in sales in 2018 that doesn't mean anything okay well how much profit did you have oh yeah I lost I lost 200 (laughs) right Right. yeah so that's that's not a metric that's yeah
1: no no, that's bad. That's very, very bad. You don't, you don't want that. Um, yeah. I completely agree when people start talking about gross versus net, it's the same thing as somebody who buys a BMW um, and, uh, and they're paying $700 a month for it because their credit is in the toilet and they just kind of, they're, as opposed to, well, I'm going to buy a Honda, but I bought it in cash. Yeah, It's a very, mm-hmm. very different animal. Um, it's not, it doesn't, don't believe everything you see. It's the iceberg principle. You know, there's a lot of work underneath what you see above the surface. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. yeah.
0: Don't sell your TV so you can buy a, um, what is it, a DVD? <laughs> yeah. right. This is actually an old school joke. We say that back when uh, DVDs were a thing. That is, Don't sell your TV to buy the DVD player.
1: Right. Exactly <laughs> right. It's, it's really, it's true. So um, to answer your question fully is that, you know, try not to pay attention to the vanity metrics because um, nobody's paying attention nearly as much as you think they are, and they're not indicative of the success. Pay no attention to other people who have super big metrics too. You don't know what their engagement looks like. You you wouldn't know that. Mm So stay eye on the prize. Worry about offering real value to your customers and stop worrying about vanity metrics. Just do the right thing and the money will come.
0: Awesome. I really love that. Let's do the right thing the money will come. Trish, let everybody know where they can find you. You mentioned Instagram, so you must have an Instagram account.
1: I do have an Instagram account and it's definitely personal, professional. I I have lots of pictures of my kids up there and my dog who really should have his own Instagram account because Mm -hmm. he's awesome. But uh, it's Dish with Trish. So it's D-I-S-H w-i-t-r-i-s-h so um if there's the wish is not fully spelled because i just kind of piggyback it onto my first name so it's dish with trish and i usually put funny stuff up there too and some actual you know tips on occasion but it's really much a a professional personal brand which is kind of how i deliver myself anyway it's a bit of a hybrid anyway and then um, on Facebook, you can look me up, too. I do have a personal page on a professional page. And you can just look up Trish Saman, T-R-I-S-H-S-A-E-M-A-N-N. And then uh, my Twitter is the same as uh, Dish with Trish, though I usually just post quotes there. I'm not as engaged on Twitter. And then, of course, look me up on LinkedIn because I'm forever doing stuff on there. too. And again, it's just my name, Trish Saman. So, awesome.
0: yeah. I will definitely yeah. look you up, Trish. I'll connect with you and I'll have the links on the show notes. And as for your Instagram, I had a family business Instagram as well. And then I gave my Instagram to um, to one of my contacts, a business contact. And he said, hey, you must have made a mistake. You gave me your personal one. <laughs> 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 because there's, um, there's pictures of your kids and stuff. I'm like, oh, uh, no, that is my <laughs>
1: no, nope. nope,
0: that's it. <laughs> that's
1: it. I- actually one of my favorite things about the era we're living in right now is that the stoicism that came with the 80s where you know whoever has the most toys wins and you know everything has to be you know in this sharp suit and high heels well for mostly for women and um and you know having that very distinct separation between home life and professional life and frankly it's very hard to strike that balance and i much prefer that's why I became an entrepreneur was because I wanted time, FaceTime with my kids where I can respond to an email. Also, like at the time, you know, nurse my son or, you know, still respond to an email on my phone and still be there for when he hits the the game winning home run or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. I wanted to have both. Um I needed to have both. I'm not I'm not really built for hard lines. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah.
0: I get you, Trish. Uh, same way, right? We we started these businesses so we could be our own boss and spend more time with the people that matter to us. So right. our content will more likely be either uh, us at work or with them because I don't spend my day out there driving Lamborghinis all day like all these marketing right. gurus, right? I'm either in front of my computer working or playing with the kids. That's where the content comes from.
1: Same thing. Same thing. I I completely agree. And uh, for those who need the Lamborghini, I'm just not a good fit for you. So that's (laughs) okay.
0: (laughs) Trish, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Oh, it was delightful. I, I, I could talk to you all day. So thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.